Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. That one you're dedicated to all the bicycle riders seen. Bicycle rider, bicycle rider. Bike rider, me other bike rider. Bike rider, me other bike rider. Trust me, riding a bike is better. Bike rider, me other bike rider. Everybody should ride bicycle. Everybody should ride bicycle. Bike for me, bike for you, bike for everyone. Good morning and welcome to this week's edition of the Yarra Bicycle Users Group radio program on Community Radio 3CR 855am digital live streaming, oh iTunes, all sorts of ways you can listen to 3CR and uh, thank you to Democracy Now! for the last hour of current affairs. My name's Chris and Yarra Bicycle Users Group radio We're a little program about uh, bicycles and cycling and related transport issues. Coming up on today's show, I've got uh, a pretty full show with two big interviews. First up, I'm going to be talking to Councillor Jonathan Shree, and he's the uh, councillor up there in uh, Brisbane City Council for the Gabba, and he'll be talking about Brisbane City uh, cycling issues, ongoing things. Um, The recent action they had on the Victoria Bridge action they had up there and you know you might be interested in this from a long-term perspective of uh they actually did a little i think called a die-in i think back on the oh i think the 20th of july last month i have to check the date but uh for many of you that uh, would prick up your ears because it's a reminiscent thing of what uh people did in the netherlands in the 1970s after uh their streets became incredibly unsafe and things they were doing to bring down the death toll. You know, if you have the death toll for children uh, being hit by cars in the streets in the Netherlands in the 1970s, it was something else. It's quite the uh, opposite of uh, how we perceive or see cycling and uh, road issues in the Netherlands today. But anyway, Jonathan will be speaking about that. And the second interview is uh, Councillor... Nicholas Francis Gilly, and he is in charge of the transport and roads portfolio in the city of Melbourne. And it's interesting how this uh, show came together because it wasn't until last night that I realised I've got two bookends of uh, council trying to do things and issues going on, and another council being incredibly proactive. So I'm just going to kick off now with that interview. First one with Councillor Jonathan Shree. So in Brisbane over the last few years, we've seen the council move pretty slowly when it comes to providing safe cycling infrastructure. In several instances, we've actually seen bike lanes removed in the interest of adding more vehicle lanes and supposedly improving traffic congestion. And we've seen another number of big projects, particularly around the inner city, approved that actually reduce cycling access. And most recently, a really large petition with thousands and thousands of signatures calling for separated bike lanes in the inner city, 
was rejected pretty much offhand by Brisbane City Council. So the council sort of took one look at the petition and said, nah, we're not going to do that. We don't want to lose the street parking. And, and that's kind of been a persistent problem in Brisbane where the council is too heavily focused on private vehicle transport and, and particularly on cars. It doesn't want to lose street parking. It doesn't want to convert road space to make safer bike lanes for bikes. And as a result, cyclists have gotten really frustrated. And so that kind of most recently culminated in a die-in on the Victoria Bridge. The Victoria Bridge is one of the main bridges leading into the city and council is currently proposing to take cars off that bridge to free up two of the lanes, two more of the lanes for dedicated bus lanes. And everyone was really supportive of that. We're like, yeah, great, it makes sense to take off the car lanes and, and make them bus only, that's good. But at the same time, council is also removing the bike lanes but isn't providing any alternative bike route across the river at that point. So for cyclists travelling from South Bank to the CBD, it's going to add around a kilometre to a one-way journey and is going to force cyclists into conflict with pedestrians on narrow footpaths. And that's kind of a, a consistent problem in Brisbane where rather than giving more car space over to bikes, we end up forcing cyclists and pedestrians to share narrow spaces and that creates conflict with um, between pedestrians and bikes. And so this, this die-in protest was really about, it wasn't just about the Victoria Bridge changes, it was about a broader problem across Brisbane where Brisbane City Council continues to underinvest in cycling infrastructure. And we seem to be falling way behind a number of other cities around the world. And I think Brisbane now probably is one of the least advanced in Australia when it comes to how crappy our cycling infrastructure is. We have some really good bike paths around the river, but that's about it. Um, there's nothing sort of to connect commuters from A to B via the shortest route. So the die-in protest, um, basically we rode onto the Victoria Bridge and occupied it for around a quarter of an hour. Hundreds of cyclists lay down with their bikes kind of to replicate the carnage of a mass accident. It was a really sort of, I guess, striking visual uh, and there were a lot of cameras there and I, compared to a lot of our other bike protests, this one got a lot of media attention. We do organise big community bike rides from time to time, call in for separated bike lanes, call in for lower speed limits, and usually the media doesn't provide much coverage at all. But this time, because we were doing a die-in, it was something a bit quirky and different, and we were sort of temporarily blockading the bridge. That was what got the cameras interested. And, um, yeah, it, it got a lot of media around the country. And after that die-in, then we... We went on a bit of a, a ride around the city like we usually do. So it was a successful protest and, and certainly got the issue onto the agenda. But the question now is whether it's actually going to result in any shift in council policy. This is Irie Lecker. You're here on 3CR 855 AM Community Radio. Also streaming on 3cr.org.au. Free West Papua, Papua Merdeka gets up one talks. What do you think is the issue with Brisbane City? Yeah, so for, for listeners who don't know, I'm, I'm a Green City Councillor and I was elected about a year ago. And from what I've seen, there are a couple of key barriers. One is that there's a cultural bias within the bureaucracy towards cars and away from active transport. And that's changing gradually, but it's, those changes haven't yet 
uh, shifted the policies and procedures around road design. So, for example, even if the council officers might say, oh, yeah, we'd like to see more bike lanes, if the rules about how an intersection are to be redesigned or what the speed limits on a given street should be are still designed with a car-centric framework, it doesn't even matter if the people want something different because they're, they're sort of constrained by those old policies and regulations that haven't been updated in years. And that's most evident when it comes to the setting of speed limits. We know that drop-in speed limits is one of the best ways to improve cyclist safety and make, make it more people feel comfortable riding on the roads. But the Queensland government and the city council are still using these really old, outdated approaches to speed limit reviews that make it really hard if you follow that process of that makes it really hard to drop the speed limits. And that's kind of because a lot of these processes look at the existing number of cyclists and existing road use. So they'll say, oh, well, this is how many bikes are currently using the road. This is how many cars are currently using the road. Therefore, lots more cars are using it. Therefore, we should ensure that the, the rules governing that road favour cars rather than sort of taking a proactive approach and saying, well, we want to change how the road is used. We want to encourage more people to cycle. Therefore, we're going to slow down the cars or give more space to cyclists. So one of the big barriers is definitely those sorts of regulatory problems. Another one, though, is that the city councillors themselves, are, I guess a lot of them are from the outer suburbs. They drive into work every day and they struggle to imagine a different kind of city. They struggle, they, they don't believe it's possible to get the majority of Brisbaneites using active transport and public transport. They, they think that while other cities shift towards public transport and active transport, Brisbane will continue to be a car-dominated city because that's just who Brisbaneites are and there's nothing we can do to change that. So there's a lack of political vision there from the city councillors themselves which is partly informed by their own life experiences as outer suburban residents who don't ride bikes themselves. And I think it's partly informed by the sort of very like vocal minority of motorists who are very anti-cyclist and are always in the media complaining about cyclists, which gives the councillors the impression that, oh, cycling infrastructure is not possible. We shouldn't, we shouldn't do anything about it. But the, as well as that, I guess the third barrier is simply one of cost. And, and that's partly because the rules around how bike lanes and, and roads are designed uh, are so now, I guess, heavily regulated that to put in even a short stretch of bike lane can cost millions and millions of dollars. So whereas other cities around the world have said, OK, we're going to put some paint on the road and we'll put out some heavy pot plants and create a temporary bike lane and see how it goes, Brisbane City Council won't do that because they're very risk-averse. They're worried if they use those sort of experimental techniques and have pop-up bike lanes. If something goes wrong, they'll get sued and the city councillors from the other party will sort of go after them in the media. So they've become really, really risk-averse and that means that the design costs and construction costs of bike lanes are massively inflated. Because the costs are high, they, they sort of make that calculus and they say, oh, well, we can't afford to. But at the same time, they're still spending hundreds of millions of dollars on road widening projects to service cars. In this financial year, for example, they're spending $115 million widening a short stretch of road in East Brisbane from four lanes to six lanes. It's only 700 metres of road, so they're widening a 700 metre stretch of road from four lanes to six lanes, and it's costing $115 million. And they're doing a similar thing just over on the north side, where a road, Kingsford Smith Drive, they're spending like $600 million to widen that. And, and meanwhile, they're still very reluctant to spend it 
even a tenth of that money on bike lanes. We're seeing close to a billion dollars a year spent on road upgrades and intersection upgrades that are all about maximizing the number of private cars that can travel through an area. And in contrast, we're only seeing about $25 million a year spent on bike lane projects. So there's just a, the priorities of the political establishment are reflected in how they allocate their funding. And right now, um, cycling infrastructure is really only getting a pittance. I'm Tash Sultana, and you are listening to 3CR. Please subscribe. Do yourselves a massive favour. Thank you very much. But uh, really, it shouldn't be an inner versus outer, suburban or a city versus rural sort of thing, because you're looking at broadening people's transport options. Yeah, and that's the thing, like taking taking cars off the road will benefit everyone, even if there are certain outer suburban commuters who don't have many alternatives and they have to drive in. At least if we can get some of the inner city residents riding their bikes, that'll take some of those cars off the road and benefit those outer suburban commuters. But part of the problem in Brisbane is that Brisbane City Council is so large, each council electorate is roughly 30,000 residents. So there are, there are only 26 city councillors to cover a population of around 2 million people. So that's very different to the councils down in Sydney and Melbourne that have much smaller council sizes. And that means that um, basically local voices get underrepresented and there's this, I guess, persistent problem where decisions are made centrally. Um, So there, there are parts of Brisbane where, particularly in the inner city, where there's really strong support for more bike lanes and more active transport. But, um, those people's voices are being, I guess, drowned out or marginalised by the fact that the electorates are so large and the fact that the city council, local government area is so large. Mm. So where can you see like something proactively happening? Yeah, and yeah, I know that this sounds like a, a, a massive issue. We've got similar issues down here in Melbourne. We've got, um, in terms of growth, there's more cars hitting the road than people moving here, even despite our massive population growth, which builds in, you know, all these nice induced uh, traffic problems, mm. but does it become a point where it's a moot point, stop, go back, or can you see something moving forward in, in Brisbane? Well, what I've found is that since getting elected, I've, I've been saying to the council traffic planners, look, I'm really happy to lose street parking to make more room for bike lanes on certain areas and corridors, and that's given them a lot more confidence and flexibility to develop solutions that they otherwise wouldn't have even bothered raising. So there, there will be designers within council who are like, oh, we definitely got to take some of this street parking away, but they don't dare raise that with the other councillors because those councillors are so car-centric. Whereas I've, I've found now that once I've started to say, look, I don't mind losing a few street parking bays. I'd, I'd love to see more bike lanes. That does sort of trickle down over time. Um, but really, I think what it's going to take in Brisbane is a strong push from cycling activists. That's what we've been missing for a long time. We've got a bunch of sort of non-confrontational lobby groups that sort of recommend minor changes and improvements here and there and try and keep a seat at the table with conservative councils and conservative governments. But we don't have enough, um, I guess, activists out there who are really pushing for change. And Mm -hmm. what we need to start doing in Brisbane and probably in other cities around Australia is taking back the streets for ourselves and taking over street parking and converting it to bike lanes 
And that is a bit confrontational and adversarial, but the system needs a bit of a kick along. It's, it's a really entrenched culture within city council of favouring cars and you're not going to shake that up just by asking nicely and signing petitions and writing submissions. Here in Brisbane, we've, we've written so many submissions and we've, we've been pushing these issues for so long. It just hasn't changed the culture. And so to get issues onto the agenda and to intervene in the political discussion, you do need a little bit of direct action and sometimes a little bit of civil disobedience. And it's important to remember that this is a, a life and death issue for people like it's, it's entirely appropriate and, and necessary that we engage in protests and that we engage in direct action because cyclists' lives are on the line. It's also like the livability of your city. Is it, is it a place worth living in if it gets to a certain point and you simply cannot go about your daily business? And something from a long-term perspective of looking at sustainable transport and or bicycle advocacy, I'm, over the last few years with like conservative you know, sort of stuff at a, at a government level... I'm seeing a bit of a Stockholm syndrome kind of sinking in with some people. It's like, you know, don't, shouldn't behave yourselves. It's like, you're not going to get anywhere. And I think people have just got a really narrow view. We don't, we don't believe that bold alternatives are possible, even though we can see them working in other cities around the world. And I think there's sort of an entrenched conservatism in local governments in Australia in particular, because for a lot of councillors, the, the best way to keep your job is just to keep plodding along, don't make waves, shake a few hands at the school fate and make sure you donate to the right community groups. Mm. Councillors don't want to push for change or be bold visionaries because they're worried they'll lose their seat. It's much easier to just plod along for 20 years and keep your safe seat and collect your paycheck and that's all you have to do. So we're relying, our political system, in order to, to make change, relies on those hierarchical decision makers, on those elected MPs and city councillors to drive change in a system that's set up like that is destined to fail and we need to push for change from the ground up. And that's why I think we need more direct action across Australia to improve advocacy, not just for cyclists, but also for pedestrians. The two go hand in hand. That shift towards walkable neighbourhoods really needs to be at the forefront of a lot of campaigns. It's not about cyclists first pedestrians. It's about cyclists and pedestrians saying, hey, we have a right to the street. We have a right to move safely from A to B. And if we don't do that, we're sort of reinforcing the problem over time. As a city councillor, I talk to a lot of parents who, they're like, oh yeah, I, I wish I, I could let my kids walk to school, but the traffic's too dangerous these days. We can't, we can't let them go to school by themselves. So then the parents drive, which makes more traffic and more congestion. And it's one of those self-reinforcing cycles that we really, really need to unpick from all directions. And I think probably one of the cheapest and most sensible places to start is just by dropping speed limits, because that doesn't cost very much. And in the inner city, there's a lot of support for lowering speed limits. And once you drop the speed limit, that also brings down the cost of providing cycling infrastructure. So, for example, if you're designing a separated bike lane, the the road manual will say, oh, well, if the speed is 60 kilometres, then the barrier needs to be this wide. Whereas the speed is only 40 kilometres, you can have a narrower barrier. So by dropping the speed limit first, you can reduce some of those design and construction costs and actually provide more kilometres of bikeway for a similar price. So I guess that's kind of, I, I, I think, a good start in demand, and it's one that unites pedestrians, cyclists, and even a lot of motorists who they're like, look, whether the speed limit is 40 or, or 50 doesn't make a huge amount of difference to me as a motorist, but it makes a huge amount of difference to a cyclist or, or a pedestrian.
And you're listening to Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio on Community Radio 3CR. And thank you to uh, Councillor for the Gabba in Brisbane, Jonathan Shreve, for that interview. Okay, my next interview coming up is with, I'll just bring this up on the DINSAT, is with Councillor Nicholas Francis Gilly, who chairs the transport portfolio at the City of Melbourne. Hi, my name's uh, Nick Francis-Gilly. I'm a councillor of Melbourne City Council and it's good to be talking bikes with you. It's wonderful to be speaking to you too, Nick. City of Melbourne have been very proactive, ensuring that vehicles which are not bicycles are kept out of the bicycle lanes in the City of Melbourne. Now, I noticed that uh, your social media people have been very proactive, plus your parking people have been very proactive. It's been actually a longer plan, uh, almost a uh, four-year, five-year plan. Uh, the former councillor responsible for this, Cathy Oak, you know, has really been passionate about cycling and prefers the transport portfolio and really made cycling her focus. I think as a consequence of that, you know, City Council has had a really clear focus and it started really with saying, OK, how do we get people into the city who aren't in the city? So it was all about those big arterial routes in, you know, getting some of those bike parks clear doing that kind of work. What's happened now is that we've kind of got the flows and, you know, I know as I say this, <laughs> a whole bunch of people say we haven't got my junction right, but, you know, a whole lot of that's really been improved for people to be able to get into the city. And so now what this, this sort of next four-year focus is about is, okay, if people are in the city on a bike or they're picking up a bike in the city, how do we really improve the flow around and within? And so as part of that, it's really been, you know, a whole bunch of stuff, including in some places, separate cars from bikes to give them, you know, effectively a clearer run. And in in many instances, that has worked well, although there are some places where that hasn't worked and we're still getting bicycle accidents, but we can probably talk about that in a second. This is a a whole of council approach that you're doing. Yeah, I mean, there is a, we've got a cycling strategy, it's a four-year plan, we're refreshing the plan at the moment, and as I said, it's gone from, you know, how how do you get people into the city safely, and now it's how do you get them around the city safely, and also improving wherever we can, separation from cyclists and, and vehicles. And, you know, clearly, you know, that's a really important thing to do. You know, cyclists are so much safer when there isn't a car about. The more opportunities that we can find for that, the better. I mean, there are some places, actually, where we are considering getting cycles away from pedestrians, where it's currently shared, and we're going, actually, there are better routes. Let's leave this to just pedestrians because, you know, it's creating a battle. So there are some places where trying to move the cyclists but on the whole walking and cycling is our focus for this city so how do we make that really work for those two groups over other groups yeah because uh, south bank would be a focus there would it i mean south bank is a, is a place where for example it does work I, I mean i think one of the things that i'm a cyclist and I'm, and a road user and a walker right and a public transport user i use all, all the transports around the city um, at different times for different reasons South Bank's one of those places where, and I, you know, I get it, you know, I get on my push bike and I'm curious, you know, mm. some mornings I want to think, can I do it quicker than I've done the other morning? If I'm focused on the speed of my journey, you know, when I get to a place, you know, where, oh, you know, can I just push the light a bit or can I, you know, can I, you know, I, I know I get into that headspace. I think one of the things we've really got to try and get cyclists 
to recognise is that this, well, well, it's great to get fit and get to work and get, do it on a bike, and we can't do enough to encourage that. This is also not a race. You know, we, this is not free from other pedestrians. It's not free from other cars. And if you are, you know, if you're, if you're racing an app to work, you are probably now becoming part of the problem, not the solution. You know, we, and, and we, we've got to recognise that everybody's got to change behaviours to get safe for cyclists. I'm Tash Sultana, and you are listening to 3CR. Please subscribe. Do yourselves a massive favour. Thank you very much. Yeah, because that's an issue with South Bank. It was initially kind of marked out as beginning of the Capital City Trail and it's very much changed use down there in the last 20 to 25 years. Council's policy strategies have got to reflect that change of use. Yes, yeah, South Bank Boulevard is, so uh, that's, you know, a Dodd Street, so behind, which I think will be able to take some of the cyclists that are using that route off of it. We're taking all the cars off South Bank, South Bank Boulevard and Dodd Street, so we're actually closing it down to cars at all. Uh, the trams actually are going to be driving over grassed tram tracks. Um, it's going to be walkthroughs and cycling paths. So we we think because that then creates a route that now will reduce some people using South Bank, that will help. But it has changed, and, and, and actually it's changed the way it says cyclists have got to go slower. But they're not. And, you know, but, but it has changed. It's a major walking area. And so that's one of the places where we're going, OK, where can we move cyclists who want to do it at speed? Just uh, to getting back to, you know, was it Exhibition Street lanes and Latrobe Street lanes for, for yeah. cyclists? Okay, what can people do if they see something amiss there and they wish to contact council? If a car is parked, people don't understand, I think, often the responsibility of council and then the responsibility of the police. Mm -hmm. It's not a parking infringement for a car to park in the bicycle lane. It's a road traffic infringement. And we are traffic people can ask somebody to move if they're parked incorrectly we can then find them for parking incorrectly if they're doing something on the road incorrectly we call the police but often the person is moved by the time so you know what our, our officers will do is say look you're parked in the bike's lane here this is not safe you need to move but we can't book them for that and we will tell the police we are absolutely supporting working with the local police to say, here are some places where it is currently unsafe because of driver behavior for cyclists, and we would like you to help us police that. When we see it, we'll tell you, but we would like you, you know, police, to give extra focus to that area. It, it actually is a policing issue. Of course, you know, the police can't sit on a bike path all day waiting to see what happens, but we do give that information to police and they are really supportive in helping us to kind of get the message. You know, because if, if, if the police spend two days booking people for doing that, it tends to change the behaviour quite rapidly. It, they should know better, but it is traffic and it's not parking. And so as a consequence, it's a police issue, not a parking inspector issue. We, you know, we do take pictures. We do show some of those pictures. We, you know, we do um, share them with the police. So we are doing as much as we can. I think one of the things, you know, I, I think, you know, you mentioned um, the Thrope Street. Yes. Yeah. 
you know, I think one of the interesting things on the Trobe Street is we've looked at kind of the accidents that are, on there, that are happening on the Trobe Street. One of the things is is that it's be- it's become much safer, except for that junction down between uh, Swanson and Elizabeth, where lo- where cars are turning left into the car park. And the reason, one of the things that's happening is, is that bicycles are going really fast there too. So you've got lots of pedestrians, you've got a separate lane, and it's downhill. And what we're recognising is, is it's a kind of, it's, you know, it's downhill section, there's lights at the bottom, you might see a green light, you're really going for it. Cars are, you know, cars are going into the parking, so they're turning left, they're going across bicycle lane, and, the, and that's where we are still having too many accidents. Now we are looking at a bunch of things that we can do to really highlight that. But I think one of the things in terms of bicycle safety, and it's, you know, the bicycles are not in in the wrong here. You know, they're using the bicycle lane. But they are, you know, I think it's really important to recognize if you're on a bicycle and I drive a scooter and a bike, you know, is that you've got to be doing that thing that says, I know I'm in the right, but I am vulnerable. And going down this section here, you know, there is a lot of cars that can pull into this car park. They are not used to this lane being here. Though it's clearly marked, if they don't see me and turn left, I am the one that's going to get hurt. Comes down to personal observation and also diminished speed. It does, yeah. I mean, because you're going downhill... And because you've got your own lane doesn't mean that somebody won't, you know. And, you know, the other thing is a lot of people, you know, they're parking around there particularly. A lot of people that, are, that don't often come to the city, that are coming into the city and they're going into that major, major shopping precinct. Often, you know, quite stressful for people who aren't used to driving in the city. Now, you know, I mean, you know, I can imagine some people listening to say, well, they should have come on public transport. I agree. You know, public transport is a much better outcome for us. So, you know, mm-hmm. watch the speed. You know, I want to say to cyclists, we we want this city to be a place that really is good for you. We really welcome it. We're working out the future, and the future's changing rapidly. Things like O-bikes and bike sharing, and, you know, the the, the whole bike environment is going to change. You know, there is going to be, if if Melbourne is to grow and to be a great city, in 20 years' time, we might not have a car in the city at all. You know, I mean, that might be where we're going. Who knows? You know, certainly not council policy, but, you know, we're going to have to deal with more and more people in a city, and we've got limited space, right? People walking and people on bikes are always going to be welcome. So our job is to make them welcome. Councillor Francis Gilly, I thank you for your time today on Yarra Boss. We'll use group radio. Great. Chris, thanks a lot. And that's all I've got time for today on Yarra Boss with User Group Radio. Up next is Jailbreak, and our podcast should be available real soon, either on 3cr.org.au for the podcast or look at uh, yarrabug.org forward slash radio. And don't forget to subscribe or donate to keep community radio on air. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.